0: Now we're going to read about the name of the Lord Jesus tonight. We're turning to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's hear the word of the Lord. First Peter chapter 2 verse 1 Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious. He also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, and the rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, for unto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness, into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We'll end the reading there at verse ten, we know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scripture. Now my text tonight is taken from First Peter chapter two and verse six. It says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth in him should not be confounded. Now, my theme this evening is to think about the precious cornerstone. Many, many weeks ago, I commenced a mini-series on the precious things of God in the Bible. And I told you then that there were 72 references in the Bible to the word precious. And these 72 references, of course, teach the things that are most precious to God. I also pointed out from the very introduction that the word precious means something that's highly valued, something to be greatly esteemed, something to be mostly treasured. Now, my first message was based in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, and we were led to believe and think about the precious thoughts that God has to us God Almighty the living and the true God our creator and maker has you and me in, our, in his thoughts continually perpetually think of that the second message had to do with the precious word of God First Samuel 3 and 1 and the word of the Lord was precious in those days and what a treasure the word of God is a word in our own mother tongue, a word that we can read and preach from publicly. Think of Ehud's great message to King Eglon, I have a message from God for you. God speaks to us out of his word. His word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The third sermon had to do with the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Remember, the doctrine of the blood lies at the very heart of the gospel. It was Dr. Paisley uh, who encouraged us young men going through the college to, to make much of the blood. Remember, it's the blood, the blood of Christ, that makes atonement for the soul. That's the ground of redemption. The fourth message had to do with precious faith, Second Peter 1 and 1. Remember, true faith is a gift. It's not something inherent within you. It's something given by God. True faith has to be obtained. The object of true faith, of course, is God in Christ. And true faith operates by love. Love to God and Christ and the scriptures, so on. The fifth message had to do with the precious promises of God. and We pointed that out from Second Peter 2 and 4. And they're very great and precious promises. And one's yea and amen to us in Christ. We then thought about the preciousness of redemption. Psalm 49 verses 8 and 9. We then thought about the precious sons of God from Lamentation 4 and 2. Isn't that a lovely description of God's people? Then we thought about the preciousness of Christ Himself. Unto you, therefore, which believe, He is precious. I told you there are seven references to the word precious in the epistles of Peter, First and Second Peter, and the fifth reference has to do with. Christ unto you therefore to believe. He is precious and we've been singing about his precious name. We've been singing how precious he is to us tonight. Then we thought about the preciousness of the death of saints. Psalm 116 verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And a couple of weeks ago we thought about the preciousness of trials. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 and 7. Now tonight I want to add another precious thing to that list of things that are most precious to God. And here it is. The precious cornerstone. The Apostle Peter is exhorting God's people to a life of holiness. He tells them, But as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So he's dealing with the practical aspect of the sanctification of a believer. And of course, holiness and sanctification is not an option. We are called to this life, a life of holiness and sanctification unto the Lord. A life where sin is dealt with, where there's a a hatred for sin. Notice what he says in verse 1 of his chapter, chapter 2, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Here he's mentioning specific sins, things that must be set aside, things that must be turned from. Now, here's a question. How do you turn from these things? In your own power, by your own ability, by your own strength? The answer is No. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the, the the life of faith in Christ that is within us. Christ lives in us, remember, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we can live a life of self denial and a self. Sacrifice. It doesn't come about instantaneously. It's not by our own ability and strength. We're told something here. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And notice these words now in verse 4 To whom coming? As unto a living stone. To whom coming? He's referring to. Engaging in a life of communion and fellowship with God. The, 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 the word coming there is in the present continuous tense, and it, it means continual coming or 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 always coming or or, 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 or um, it speaks of continuity to whom coming is unto what? A living stone. Notice what he tells us there, disallowed indeed of men. But chosen of God and precious. And then come to verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone. Elect precious. And he that believeth in him should not be confounded. And here's the apostle Peter. And to back up this statement. That they're coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. It's the precious stone that he's thinking about. The same precious cornerstone he mentions in verse 6. To back it up he quotes from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. He also makes another reference later on in the chapter in verse 8 to Psalm 118 verse 22. And I want you to notice this. That Christ here has been referred to as a stone and a stone that's most precious to God. A living stone, yes. But, but a stone that's the cornerstone. A stone disallowed of men. A stone of stumbling. A, a rock of offence. Yet this stone is chosen of God. That This stone is elect. the stone is precious unto God. That's what I want to think about for a few minutes tonight. I want you to consider the precious cornerstone. Now, I want you to think of four things. Think firstly of the picture of the cornerstone. It, it, it says here in verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. So think of that, a chief cornerstone. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean when we say that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. What is the cornerstone? What what comes to mind? You see, immediately when we think of stones, you're, you're going to maybe think of something like this. Memorial stones. Stones with an inscription on it. Could be built into the wall, or it could just be fixed to the wall, and they would be, of course, memorial stones. And But that's not what he's referring to when he talks about the chief cornerstone. It's nothing to do with stones with an inscription on it. So it's nothing to do with memorial stones in the new church building. And of course we'll have some of them and a few others will be added in due course. I'll tell you something else, it's, it's not a headstone. See, some people talk about the headstone in a building. Uh, and the headstone is really a reference, well it could be a reference to a, a marker to a grave. Again, with the name of the deceased on it. Uh, and um, it's, it's nothing really to do with the, the, the headstone Or the top stone of a building. No, it's a chief cornerstone. Uh, And we're brought into the image here of building practice in the ancient world. Uh, And you've got the the image of the construction of a building. Uh, And in ancient building practices, the cornerstone was the principal stone. Or the first stone, that would be a good way to put it. The main stone, it was carefully prepared. The, the cornerstone was carefully set. The cornerstone was absolutely necessary in the mind of the builder to the proper alignment of every other stone in that whole building. So the cornerstone was the stone that was set first, the stone that was firmly fixed, probably one of the largest stones in the building. One of the most solid, carefully constructed. And all other stones in the building were set always in reference to that stone. In other words, the chief cornerstone, the one that was first, determined the position of every other stone. That's the picture of the cornerstone. And the Apostle Peter is referring to the the church of Jesus Christ as a building made up of Living stones, isn't that what he says in verse 5? He also was lively stones, or built up a spiritual house. He's referring here to the redeemed of the Lord, those that are saved. God's people are like lively stones in his sight. Built up a, a spiritual house, built up a, a spiritual priest to offer up spiritual sacrifices, all acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And all those living stones in that spiritual building, they're all held together by the chief cornerstone. They are aligned to the cornerstone. The cornerstone is set first, and the rest are built in. And that's Peter's argument. His eye is really on one object in the whole of the building, and it's the chief cornerstone. And Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone. He he bought the church with his own precious blood. He establishes the church. He enables the believers to live a life of holiness for him. He ensures that within us that there's instilled this hatred for sin and this desire for sanctification and and this life of separation. What, What was Christ's purpose in coming into the world? Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Lord Jesus said himself that he, he, he came to give his life a, a ransom for many. And one of the purposes of Jesus Christ is to, to save his people and to redeem them by the precious blood. And not only um, make them as living stones in his sight, but as living stones build them into a, a, a spiritual b- building. But the purpose of Christ is also something else. is to guarantee the safety and the stability and the satisfaction, the security of every other stone in the building. Because he himself is the cornerstone. See, Jesus Christ tonight has a, an essential foundational purpose. And that purpose is fundamental to the whole building of the church. And it's the Lord Jesus who ensures the individual believer. It's the Lord Jesus who ensures the church locally and the church universally to be strong, to to, to, to remain steadfast and stable, to, to remain solid and true to the light and truth that emanates from him. In other words, he does everything that's necessary so the individual Christian is a living stone, so that the local church, the church, Militant on earth, the church universal, can be unmovable and um, unsinkable. In other words, he enables us to to abound and to go on and press on in the work of God no matter what we face. It's him that causes us to succeed and prosper. It's him that gives us strength as far as light and truth is concerned. See, this metaphor of the cornerstone, it's, it's very important. If you link it up tonight, look with me at um, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, because here's another reference to the the, the cornerstone, Ephesians 2, and it's 19 and 20, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, now therefore, this is what, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus to to strengthen the believers there so they can get to know Christ better and in a greater measure. Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the first stone that was set. In whom all the building fitly framed together, Groweth unto an holy temple of the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. There's the picture of the cornerstone. So it's the first stone. It's carefully set. It's carefully constructed, and all the other stones in the building are aligned to it and are its position. It's determined by the cornerstone. I want you to think, secondly, of the placement of the cornerstone. If you look at our text, what does it say? Verse six, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, where also it is contained in the scriptures. So the Apostle Paul is, or Peter has made a statement to the believers to whom he's writing. And he's saying to them, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And then he tells them, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Now note the words, I lay in Zion. That's very important. The word behold means to gaze upon, to think about, to use your mind to think and understand. Where was this cornerstone laid? And here's the answer. In Zion. And Zion, you've heard of Mount Zion. That's in the Temple Mount area. And that's a reference to the great city of Jerusalem. And I want you to notice that this is exclusively the work of God. Because God says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion. It's a reference to God as the actor. God is the wise architect. He's the master builder. And what has God done? I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone. God planned this, I believe, from eternity past. From eternity past, it was in his heart and mind. And he revealed it in his word. If you turn over there to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Isaiah 28 and 16. Listen to what the prophet said. Isaiah 28 and 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God. Behold I lay in Zion for a foundation. A stone. A tried stone. A precious cornerstone. A sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make He is. That's what Isaiah preached in his day. This is what God was going to do in the future. and It's all revealed in the word of God. That God is going to lay and set in Zion a chief cornerstone. So the setting or the placement of the cornerstone was by God's hand. The placement was specific. It was strategic. It was in Zion, in the temple area, the very place of the blood sacrifice. And the setting of the chief cornerstone was to become a sure and a safe foundation for the people of God. And the setting of the chief cornerstone was to be forever. It was going to be unmovable, unbreakable. And the setting of the chief cornerstone was going to be rooted in God's covenant revelation. For God had revealed it. And the setting of the chief cornerstone was going to be accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the temple area, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to this day. It's the place of worship. It's the place of the shed blood, the place of atonement. It's the place where the tribes go up hither. It's the place where the high priest... Uh, and the day of atonement would all have took place. And I can see the chief cornerstone in the actual temple. Solomon's temple. temple that was rebuilt in the days of Herod. And I can see the chief cornerstone in that spiritual temple. And the placement of it in that very area in Mount Zion. And his death and resurrection. See, see that's the picture. There's the placement. Notice something else. The properties of the cornerstone... I'm going to uh, look with you and, and take, take this as a whole. It says, To whom coming is unto a living stone. That's one of the properties. Disallowed indeed of men, that's another. Chosen of God, that's another. And precious. And then he tells us in verse 6, um, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect. There's another uh, a little addition to that. Precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. And also if we take in what Isaiah the prophet said, Uh, Isaiah the prophet says, uh, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Here's the properties of the cornerstone. The cornerstone was tried, tested. And what was used for the actual building of the temple was tested. I can see the, the wise master builder checking the measurements. Is this stone the right strength for the corner? Is it the right height? Is this stone durable? Will it crumble under the weight of the rest that's going to be put upon it? You think of our Lord Jesus as God's cornerstone coming into the world, led in Zion, and how he was sorely tested and tried, tested in his temptation. Of course, he was without sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin in him. was no sin. Tested in the days of his humiliation. Think of his privations. He was penniless. He had to say, show me a penny. He was homeless, the son of man had nowhere to lay his head. He, he, he was in the house of friends, Peter's house, the house of Mary and Martha, and no doubt others. And at times the Lord Jesus was friendless. He didn't commit himself to any man, for he knew what was in man, even in the hearts and lives of his disciples whom he loved. and And you think tonight of his... Crucifixion. Here's the very depth of his humiliation, his, his suffering on the cross. And, and on the cross, he, he he suffered and died in agony and blood. And the Bible tells us who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Remember, on the cross, he, he refused to drink any beverage to ease his pain. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why is thou forsaken me? On the cross, he cried out, It is finished. And, and of course, It was all to do with the work of securing eternal redemption. Glory to God, he's no longer in the tree, he's not even in the tomb, because he's been resurrected, he is not here, he is risen. You're coming to a living stone. If you get the the, the thought in Peter, not only tried, but, but, but a living stone. To him coming as unto a living stone. And it's a reference to the Lord. If so be it, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. To him coming? Who are they coming to? They're coming to the Lord. And what is the Lord to them? He's a living stone to them. Can you get the sense? A living stone? Not a dead stone. I really can't get my head around that. What does that mean? We think of a stone as an inanimate object. And it's called lifeless and, 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 and yet here we're talking about Christ as a living stone. And as a living stone, he guarantees the very survival. He guarantees the success of the church. You see, that brother that spoke to me today and learned 15 or 20 years, the church will be gone. It won't. For Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not be veiled against it. And, and this congregation will survive and this congregation will be successful and this congregation will be strong and solid why? because of me no, because of our office bears, because of what we have done in the site down below the answer is no but because of Christ as the living stone and we need to think of that we need to encourage our hearts we need, we need to get him as our focus I want you to think of this word elect uh, that word means chosen here's another property God chose his son to be the living stone from all eternity. Not only the lamb slain, but the living stone. See, the resurrection was guaranteed. Think of those words precious. It means valuable, highly treasured. It speaks of dignity. It speaks of being greatly esteemed. See, there's the properties of the cornerstone. or oh, that we could get them into our head. He's tried. And yet he was successful in the work that he came to do. He, he succeeded and pleased the Father, and the Father raised him from the dead because he was the elect He was chosen. He was precious in the sight of God from all eternity. I want you to think lastly, in the few minutes that we have, of the preaching of the cornerstone because the apostle Peter adds this which is of course a looser translation from from Isaiah 28 and verse 16 and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded now why is Christ, the sure and solid and strong foundation. Think of Job for a moment. Think of the first 37 chapters of the book of Job and all that happened and befell him. And he felt it was when then his right to question God. Job had a desire to call God to account. He wanted God to give an explanation as to why these things had befallen him. Why have you subjected me to this? I, I haven't sinned. I'm, I'm innocent, Lord. Uh, why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed this to happen? Now in Job 38, an amazing thing happened. Remember, Job is this desire to question God. When God eventually draws near to Job, what does he do? He calls Job to give an account And his argument is in verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Remember God's its creator and ruler. So he's asking Job this question. The foundation of the earth. Remember Christ is the foundation. Not only of the church that's built on him. But Christ is also I believe the very foundation of the whole of creation. Remember what the Apostle John was able to say in um, the Gospel of John in chapter 1 uh, and verse 3 when he said all things were made by him and without him. Uh, I'll I quote it directly. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. The whole world was created for him and by him and unto him. Isn't this what we referred to this morning in the book of Revelation? In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Again the same information is given to us in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1 and in the verse uh, 16 it is written For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things consist. In other words he's not only the foundation of the church but he's the foundation of the world. And therefore, you can't understand the purpose for which this very world exists without coming to Christ, without understanding that he's the living stone, the one who's elect and precious and tried by God. And any worldview that dismisses Christ and leaves him out of the picture is defective. Many have a distorted worldview tonight. They can talk about being charitable and involved in humanitarian causes. We could talk about being involved socially. We could talk about the the needs, even of the the Protestant, loyalist, unionist community, educationally. We could talk about events politically. But we'd all be short-sighted if we leave out Christ. Because he is the foundation of this world. It's all built on him. It's for him and unto him. And, and we see in him the chief purpose then for why the world is, is made. Remember what the apostle says in Romans chapter um, 11 and verse 33. He says, "O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Who have known the mind of the Lord or who have been his counselor or he hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for off him. And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The purpose of Christ in creation. The purpose of Christ in redemption. The purpose in Christ in, in building his church as its redeemer. Uh, the purpose of Christ as the ruler of the world. See, Peter remembers writing to believers. People who are suffering for their faith. They're undergoing fiery trials. There's a price to be paid for being a Christian in that day. Name the name of Christ and you could be put to death instantaneously. People were facing difficulty. It was hard to cope. We probably have no idea how how hard it really was. Peter wanted them to focus on Christ. He reminded them, You're coming as unto a living stone. And then he says unto you which believe, He is precious. He says there in that tremendous statement as we come to a conclusion about Christ as the living stone, he reminds them of this uh, precious truth and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. The word confounded means put to shame. The one who believes in him will not be ashamed. That's what he's saying. The one who believes in Christ will not flee from Christ in sudden panic. He'd not be consumed with shame of a a confused hope. He'd fill his mind with the scripture. He'd remember the book is all about him. The overriding theme is this living stone. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone sure stone a cornerstone a stone that's elect and precious a stone that's tried and remember the bible says in first corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 uh, an amazing statement about the foundation it, it says and other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is jesus christ do you see value in him tonight Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. You'll not be put to shame, you'll not run in panic, you'll not flee. You see, to do otherwise is to stumble at the stone. How many tonight say, but I don't need a saviour. I don't need to be saved. I'm not a a, a sinner. I'm not depraved. And they're relying on their own ideas and their concepts. They're really pretending they're wiser than God. That They're doing what's right and thinking what's right in their own eyes. And the opposite of faith, of course, is unbelief. And unbelief is rooted in in disobedience. And and many tonight are stumbling at the living stone. And they're falling over him. Simply because they refuse to believe. They refuse to believe the infallible proofs that are presented about him. And they refuse to believe because of unbelief. Notice the word, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. For unto they were appointed. Have you faith in Christ tonight? Is he is he precious to you? He, here's the preaching of the cornerstone. But he that believeth in him shall not be converted. Have you believed in him? Maybe you're going through trials and a hard time and difficulty. And you feel it given up. You'll not be ashamed if you're trusting in Christ. You'll not flee in panic if you're trusting in Christ. You'll not be consumed with with, with with shame of a confused hope if you're trusting in Christ. Because you'll see him as the living stone, the chief cornerstone, the one that's elect and precious in the sight of God. May the Lord bless his word to your heart, the safe net.